You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 91. Um, And if you're going to follow along in your uh, pew Bible, it's on page 523. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say concerning the Lord, who is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He himself will rescue you from the bird trap, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place, No harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. Because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. That is a really, really good word. We, by God's grace, will unpack that today. Look at it. If you were were not able to come last week, we began a short little two-week, two-part little mini-series, so to speak, on, um, on nearness to God. And what I did last week and what I felt led to do this time um, was in this series, instead of telling you here's what nearness of God is, here's what it means, uh, and then talk about how we obtain it, last week I began sort of negatively saying here are the reasons why nearness to God eludes us. And we looked at several excuses to that. We began, though, actually reminding ourselves that all throughout Scripture, story after story, we see God's mercy and God's grace all throughout the Bible. And the reality that should be very dramatic to us, very exciting to us, that should shock us at times, probably most times, is that a mighty God, a merciful God, a graceful God wants to be near to us that he wants us he wants us to be near to him for his joy not just for our joy he has joy when we come near to him he has joy that we would be in intimate relationship with him it is his joy and what we're going to look at today that it's not just his joy it's our good that we find ourselves near to God. Last week, some of the reasons we said, uh, some of the hindrances to our nearness to God, we talked about these different mixtures, uh, sort of a mixture of arrogance and ignorance. 
arrogance on one hand might be say, uh, seen something like this where we say, I don't need God, I'm just fine by, my, by myself. Now no, none of us would maybe claim that, but our actions dictate that we don't really need God, we don't really want God. That's living a life in arrogance. Don't really need Him, don't really want Him, got, got to deal with Him, we're good, me and the man upstairs, when He's in His place, I'm in my place, everything's good. It's arrogance. Arrogance also says that we need all these other things other than God. That we think these things are more important than God. Ignorance is, can be seen in a couple ways. Ignorance could be that we don't know what we're missing. One of the reasons we're not near God is because we don't really know what's at the right hand of God. What are these pleasures forevermore? What is it to be in the company and intimacy with God? God. So we're, we're just ignorant. So we don't pursue it. We don't go after it. Another way ignorance shows itself to keep us from being near to God is we don't know how to get near to God. What's the way to do that? How do we obtain that? Okay, I get it. I like it, but I don't even know how to even get there. Another mixture of hindrances that keeps us from being near to God is we talked about fear and doubt. This mixture is crippling to us. We are so afraid that God would not want us. We doubt that God would even help us. We doubt that God is even worth it. Or we fear that once we get close to God, we're going to find ourselves disappointed that God didn't really do all the things that we just sang about. And so it's just kind of safer just to sort of do our game, look at the stuff that we can control. I can do this, and I can do this, I can do this. But when I get near to God, there's just sort of that unknown that I don't really know what's going to happen, so that fear and that doubt keep us from pressing in closer to God. Today we come to this chapter, and this chapter is filled with the why we want to be near God. It's filled with the answers to the ignorant issue what happens if we're near God what does it mean to be near to God and we come to this chapter and it is considered one of the happiest most pleasant chapters in all of Psalms let me explain a few things about this Psalm 91 before we really unpack it to get together today first of all some important background about this is important to know that there's no title given to it. In your copy of Scripture, there's nothing at the top that says, this is a psalm of David, or this is a psalm of Moses, or Asaph, or whatever. It doesn't have that here. And so there's no way of 100% knowing who was inspired to write this psalm. But scholars believe that when this happens in psalms, the interpreters, what they did is instead of saying this is a psalm of Moses, they attribute the psalm that has no title to the author of the psalm before it and attributed Psalm 90 to Moses. Most people believe that Moses is the one who wrote this psalm. Why is that important? Why do we go through that? Because when you read this psalm and you know anything about the story of Moses and delivering the people and what they were going through in the desert and what was happening, some people believe that Moses was inspired to write this psalm as a response on reflecting on the lives of Joshua and Caleb. Do you know that story? 
When the people of Israel were wondering, they were promised to go into the promised land, that it was theirs, God had it for them. All they had to do by faith is just keep walking. (laughs) Just keep going. It's there. It's right there. And so what Moses and the leaders did, they got 12 spies to go look at the land to see what it was like so they can come give a report. And they came to give a report. And 10 of the 12 said, no way. They were more in awe of what they were going to than they were the God that was sending them in. They were terrified, fear, doubt, ignorance, a little bit of arrogance that they could say no to God. We're not doing it. But Josh and Caleb said, oh, no, no, that's our land. And he's our God. Let's go. They didn't go. And another 40 years of wandering in the desert And so some believe that Moses is writing this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write this text reflecting on this is what happens for those who are near the heart of God. Even though everything else around them is going this way and that way, those who are near God find these blessings. So we come to this text and we are reminded of the blessings that come to those who are near God. God. What are those blessings? From verse 3 through 13, the psalmist, we believe to be Moses, describes up to six effects of those who are near God. Six blessings that are near God. Just real quickly, we're going to look at those. We see in verse 3 that those who are near God are rescued from worldly traps. Verse 3, He will Himself he himself will rescue you from the bird trap, from the destructive plague. It means what it sounds like it means. It means that when you are near God, you are not falling for the traps that are laid out for those who are not on the path, on the road, on the road to God. You're, you decide to get away from God, go on your own path, there's mines set up there. There's paths set up for your destruction, tricks that the enemies have for you. Those who are near God, we are rescued from those traps. In verse 4, it says that not only are we rescued from worldly traps, we are protected from worldly elements. Verse 4, He will cover you. Picture that. He will cover you with His feathers. Wait a minute, are you saying God has feathers? (laughs) No, the imagery here is like the, the big... Um, wing of an eagle that's taken care of. It's like nothing's penetrating that wing. The storms may come all around it, but nothing's getting through to the babies. It's under the wing of the strong one. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield near God, a protection from what the world brings at us will be ours. Verse 5 and 6 talks about those who are near God have this peace amidst worldly circumstances and darkness. Verse 5, you will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, 
the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. We are seeing two different things, right? We see activities that are horrible that are happening during the day, and we're seeing the fruits of that that are happening at night. When we read this, a lot of people think you see the dirty, sort of scum-driven type activities in the workplace that are manipulative, that are mean, that are twisted, that hurt and crush people, their opponents. And how at night, the fruits of that are carried out by those who act this way. We are seeing that from this text, the promise. That if you're near to God, you don't have to fear the way people act during the day. And you don't have to fear the destruction that's coming to those people at night. Because you are near God. You are protected from that. You can have peace when you lay your head down at night. I'm near the Lord. No matter what is happening outside. No matter what I just heard on the news when I turned it off. No matter what I just read. I am with the Lord. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding we see also in verses 7 8 a deliverance from worldly destruction now this isn't ignorance of worldly destruction this is deliverance from it verse 7 and 8 though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand the pestilence will not reach you You'll see it with your eyes. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. We are going to see things that happen to those who are walking as far away from God as they can. And those who walk with God will see it, will be heartbroken, will watch it, will vision But if you're walking with God, you're near God, you'll be free from that. You can see here why people think this is Moses reflecting on the life of Joshua and Caleb whose families were devoted and near to the Lord and saying we're forever going to follow him no matter what everybody else is doing. And as the earth would swallow people up, as they would walk in, in distress in the 40 years, Joshua's family, Caleb's family, near God, were protected and watching things come and go. Verse 11 and 12, we see this should, this should really... This should really encourage you. If the other stuff doesn't encourage you, listen to what God does for those who are near to him. Verse 11 and 12. For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways and all the things that you're doing. If you're near God, Go free, go hard, go in faith, because in all of your ways, the angels are protecting you. I love how specific it gets in verse 12. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The imagery here is that they will guide you. You don't have to fear walking out amongst the wolves. They're going to guide you in going the right path in this way and that way. They're going to nudge you. They're going to push you so that you don't have to worry about going off the wrong way. When you're near God, pursuing God, going after God, God has assigned angels to put hands to bump. Don't go this way. Don't go that way. And of course, we know that He does this through His Word of truth that lights up our path. All of that's neat to reflect on, 
As the inspired words come to what we believe is Moses, writing about what we might, he might be writing about Josh and Caleb, but also reminding us that this is what's promised to us. But then we come to a grand announcement that sort of sums up all of these blessings. It's one thing to write about what you believe to be the truth, but when you actually hear God say it from his mouth, there's something that grabs a hold of you then. In verses 14 through 16, this is God's response. These, this is what he says about those who are near to him. Let's read this together and we'll unpack this with the rest of our time. Verse 14. Because he... Well, you don't have to read it with me. I'm sorry. I'm going to read it. and you, you follow it. Awesome. Way to listen. Um, just because the timing of that would just mess everything up. And I, anyway, um, because he has set, because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. In these three verses, we see a declaration from God Almighty. Promises for those who are near him. We call this the seven I wills declaration from the Lord. Let's look at them one at a time. The first one is, I will deliver him. Do you know that just as God is the Creator God, He is a God that wants you so badly that He is willing to go and pluck you out, deliver you from the hardships that you're in, that you find yourself in. If you're near the heart of God, He's saying, I'm going to deliver you from those things. I, Almighty God, will deliver you. It's one thing to know. I remember there was a time I was struggling and um, I was kind of drowning. Not, I, was, I guess I was on the way to drowning in a river. The undertow was pulling me down. And I remember just kind of my hand waving and somebody grabbing my hand and pulling me out. And I wanted so badly that I was just new. I was like, that's my dad. It wasn't. My dad was struggling down the river and somebody else was pulling him out. But, uh, but I remember being pulled out. Thinking, who cares enough? I mean, there's all these, there's hundreds of people going down this river. Who cares to be looking for my little hand? God does. He knows where you are. He is a deliverer. I will deliver him. He says, I will, second one is, I will protect him. The one who knows my name. The one who's not ashamed of my name, I will protect him. The one who's glad to bear my name will also have with my name, he will have my orders to the angels to protect them. I will protect you. I will, that means I will guard you. I claim you. I will protect you. The third one is I will answer you. This is a direct line. <laughs> Those who are near God 
can call out to God at any time and he will answer you. So many times we wrestle with it. How come, how come it feels like my prayers aren't hitting or going above the ceiling? You ever, talked, you ever thought that way? Well, invite God into the room. Quit thinking, ceiling, God way up there. No, God's here. One of the reasons we begin our time of worship just by kneeling is because we want to acknowledge, God, you're here, and I don't want to just stand in your presence. You're here. I'm near you. I want to talk to you right now. And God says, when you're near me, I will answer you. The fourth one is, I will be with him in trouble. Notice that. It doesn't say storms won't come. It doesn't say trouble's not waiting. But what he is saying is, those who are near me, I will be with you when that comes. I will rescue him. Similar to the I will protect him, I will deliver them. The answer and the calling and the commitment from God is, I will rescue him. And he says, I will, the sixth one is, I will honor him. Psalm 149.4 says, He adorns the humble with salvation. How does He honor us? How does He honor the one who's near? He says, Behold, I give you the kingdom of God. (laughs) You want to be near God. He says, Everything I have is yours. I will honor Him. And then look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, and this is the last I will, says, I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. God says to those who are near, I will satisfy him forever. Let's go through the list again. I'll say it really fast. I will deliver. I will protect. I will answer. I will be with him in troubles, I will rescue, I will honor, and I will satisfy forever. What amazing grace this is, that a Creator God would give us this kind of sovereign, intimate care. Who's this for? Everyone? Nope, it's not. Verse 1, verse 2 Verse 14 tells us who's, who this promise, who these blessings belong to. Verse 1, the one who lives under the protection of the Most High. He dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. These blessings are for those who live under the protection of the Most High. Notice the words live under and dwell in. This is the one who lives under the care of God and doesn't just act under the care of God and then go act somewhere else. This isn't somebody who just runs to the care of God. This is somebody that lives under it. They find it comfortable. They find peace. They find rest to say, this is where I'm going to dwell. I'm pitching my tent right here. My family, we are going to be under his wing. We're not going to go out here and do all these things and live this way. And then all of a sudden, oh no, storm's coming. We've got to run back under here. No. This is somebody that unashamedly says, I want to bear his name in my life. I want to be near him. 
I want to live under his wing, under his care. I'll dwell in the shadow of the Almighty, not in the shadow of all sorts of other things. These blessings in verse 2 remind us the one who says about the Lord, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is the one I trust. This is what Paul meant when he wrote from prison in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die would be gain. Because I, I get to be with him forever. This is what nearness to God looks like. These are the blessings that come to those who are near. Let me ask you this morning, what do you live under? What guidance or direction are you pursuing for your life? What gives you a sense of peace and rest and happiness? Let me mention a few competitors to God for us. Well, the first competitor is obvious. It's ourselves. We think, I don't need God. It's that arrogant thing again. I'm fine by myself. My bank account will take care of me. Thank you. I don't need God. My task list, if you knew all that I could do during the day, I don't need God. I don't need time with the Lord. Look at all that I'm doing. I'm too busy, so I'm just going to hide in the shadow of my task list. Your image of yourself in view of the work that you give to your church, how much money you give to your church, your behavior. Maybe you hide under that shadow. Look how good I am. Look at all that I'm doing. I'm outdoing everybody. Surely God will bless me with the seven I wills because I'm doing way more than Rob. No offense, Rob. Uh, um, because there's always somebody that's going to be doing more than you. God doesn't measure that way. He measures by those who hide under his wing, who live and dwell with him. Maybe you find relief in your politics. Oh, man, we've seen this, haven't we? It's sickening. When President Obama was running for office, we would see on the media, on social media, all these endorsements from churches, all of these pastors speaking up and doing this, and here's God of over, this is new, this is the new way, this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, this is our hope, this is the new way to go. And then we would see on the other side all these group of pastors throw insults at that. No, how dare you put your hope in a candidate and in politics. And, and then eight years later, it reverses. It was the, all these people who were chunking stones over here now putting all their hope in a candidate. We see entitle, entire books written, entire worship services designed to tell people that if this person isn't in the office, we're doomed. What are you hiding under? Republican Party? Democrat Party? Stop it! Blessed is the one 
who lives under the protection of the United States of America. No, don't say that. I love my country. I can't believe that God has been so kind to allow me to pastor in this country, to be here in this country, my family to grow up in this country, but the one who lives under the protection of the Most High, who dwells in the shadow of the Almighty, God says to them, I will, I will, I will, I will. Maybe it's your financial status. Maybe it's a relationship that you find more joy in than God and you run to those relationships and they fall. You run to that relationship, they fall. And the shadow just gets smaller and smaller and you keep running from shadow to shadow. And God the whole time is saying, come to my shadow. I will rescue. I will deliver you. I will take care of you. I will care for you. I will instruct angels to watch out for you. What do you live under? It's not just about what we say because our actions will always declare what shadow we prefer to be under. That's why I think the simple answer to who it is that God promises these things to really is found in what God says in verse 14. Because he, his heart is set on me. God's not after your actions. He's after your heart. He's not after your behavior is what I'm going to say. He's after your heart. He wants your nearness to him. He knows that because it's for your good. So what is your heart set on today? If you weren't here last week, I pleaded with those who are here this week to do an investigation, to do an examination of the hindrances that are keeping you from being near to God. So let me just ask it real plain today. Is your heart set on God? Do you know that this is the one who promises these blessings to you? Hear it again. I will listen to the one whose heart is set on me. I will deliver the one whose heart is set on me. I will protect the one whose heart is set on me. I will be with in the troubles the one whose heart is set on me. I will rescue the one whose heart is set on me. For the one whose heart is set on me, I will assign angels who will use their hands to keep her or him from sinning. I will bring so much joy, so much satisfaction, so much peace to the one whose heart is set on me. Remember, there are a few ways that we can interpret and apply and act on the news that we're learning and reading about today. There's a guilt that leads to shame and there's a guilt that leads to change the guilt that leads to shame says i'm guilty of that jason my heart isn't really set on him there's no way to prove anything but that i mean he knows what i run to and then once you admit that instead of letting it go you hold on to it You begin to hear the accuser, the enemy, come and tell you, yeah, you're always going to run to those things. You're never going to have a heart near him. He doesn't want you. He doesn't like you. He knows that you're that way. This word is for a people like the pastor. 
You're never going to measure up to that. You hear passages like this and you believe that you were never worthy and never ever able to be near to God. And that leaves from guilt and it leads to deeper and deeper shame. There's a guilt and a way to hear this of a guilt that leads to change. And usually it's the same thing. This is what we call holy conviction. It's, it's us going, yeah, God knows that my heart's not His and and it hasn't been his, and I, I must get my heart back to him. There's no way I could prove otherwise. He's God. He knows it. And the difference is here, you see this as opportunity to draw near to God. You're convicted. You want to change. You want to switch. You want to find, you want to seize the moment. You don't want to walk out of here the same as you walked in. You're like, yes, I want that. I want the treasures and the pleasures that are at the right hand of God. I want those I wills for my life. Oh, if Jason, if you only knew how much I needed those right now. Then the guilt that leads to change is you just saying, oh, yes, Lord, I want you. I need you. I want to run in and live under the shadow of your wing. It's a good time to remind you of the verses from last week. James 4, verses 6 through 8. It says, He gives greater grace. Love that. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, that accuser that's saying you're never going to change, you're always going to be that way. Resist that. He'll flee from you and draw near to God. And He will draw near to you. He's not too holy to help you. He is too holy to allow you to remain the way that you are. He will change you as you're coming into Him. Last week's passage, the second one was Hebrews, where it shows us how we do this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, the sanctuary was the holy of holies. The sanctuary was forbidden for almost everybody else. The sanctuary was the place where the very presence of God was said to dwell. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, now that we have this boldness to enter into that place, how? Through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh on the cross. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from, evil, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. He who promises, I will care for you. I will listen to you. I will answer you. I will rescue you. I will deliver you. And he is faithful. We... um, I have a love for the city of Vancouver. How many of you have been to Vancouver? It's my fav- one of my favorite cities in the world. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. 
My last church, we had a partnership with Vancouver, and we would go and do ministry um, projects, and we would, uh, there are different churches that we would work with. Uh, for the most part, it was one church at one point, then it expanded to other churches, and uh, I can't remember how many times I've been to Vancouver. One particular time I went with, my wife and I went with another couple, and we were going to do training in, um, in Vancouver, and it was about this time of the year. Um, it may have been actually maybe the end of February, and um, and we had put the word out. We had done all this work. We were ready to go up there and do this training for discipleship and evangelism. We were excited. We were prayed up. We get there. The churches knew it. And as soon as we get off the plane, we were, oh, and just like you do every time you visit a city, you do what? You check the what? Weather. Yeah, some of you know. And we're looking at the weather going, and we're from Texas, and we're like, wow, this looks nothing's going to keep these people from coming. It's not snowing. There's no snowstorm. The weather's going to be great. The sun's going to be out. This is going to be exciting. How perfect. Oh, God, you're good. You know, we just do all this stuff, and we get there, and the guy that's working at the church tells us, oh, by the way, we may not have that many people show up tomorrow. What? Because of the weather. What? What? What are you talking about? And he goes, oh, yeah, you don't get it. The people in this area submit everything when the first sun comes out it's like we probably won't have but 20 people i know you're planning for 120 we may not have but 20 he said employers know this people know this they plan they do everything but as soon as that first sun comes out and the first time everything stops everything changes they get out of the shadows and they come into the light because they can And they know that they're not going to get fired from their job. They know they're not going to be ridiculed at church. I mean, churches haven't even closed their doors and just meet outside. I mean, they know that let's leave the shadows. Let's get out into the light. And everything stops. Everything turns. Why do I say that? When we have the invitation to come be near to God, it should, like us, be like the sun coming in, exposing all the other dark places in our life. And it should be, for the first time, this rescue from us, like everything must change for me to get to that point. I don't care what it affects. I must run to God. I must draw near to Him so that He can draw near to me. What's it going to be for you? You're going to stay in the shadows and miss the blessings of God Almighty for you? Or are you going to say today, today, I want to confess what I need to confess. I want to get rid of what I need to get rid of. And I want to draw near to a God who loves me. Praise be to a Creator King who can provide this kind of care. This speaks to his sovereign power. And praise be to a creator king who wants to provide this kind of care for you. And this speaks to a sovereign love. Let's go to the Lord and pray. And here's what we're going to do today as we move to a time of reflection on this. Usually, we put things up and We start to gather ourselves and we leave. I want us today to just quietly and silently sit where you are and just reflect on this. What is God doing on your heart? What is he leading you to do and act on? 
Maybe you just need to ask him privately, Lord, would you reveal to me where my heart is? Would you reveal to me which shadow I run to that's not you? What am I trying to guide and protect me instead of you? What am I leaning on instead of you? And just use this time to think about that. And then when it's appropriate, you can stand and join us in singing, but not until you're ready, not until you're really ready to say, I want to be near to the God who rescues. Let's pray. God, I rejoice this morning that you do not need fellowship with me. You are not impoverished if I don't show up. You are complete. You are good. My nearness to you does not disrupt the Trinity at all. So God, I thank you that you have chosen to magnify your mercy and your grace by giving us access to you through Jesus Christ. In spite of all of our sin, you, God, loved this world so much. You love me so much that you gave your son to die for me so that I can be near you forever. Oh, what sovereign grace this is. Oh, what sovereign love it is. God, if there's anyone here today that feels so far away from you, just call them. Right now, tell them, I want you. Come near to me. I pray that you would give them the courage and the faith like the people in the streets of Vancouver just to leave the shadows and run out into the light into your care. Do this work in our life, Lord, I pray, for our good, for your glory. Amen.